0: Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 goes on to say this. Not only is it appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So the fact is, all of us have, first of all, an appointment that we will all keep with death. And the Bible is very clear about the fact that once we have made that appointment, we will most definitely keep the next appointment, and that is that we will stand before God as our judge. And the passage that we're going to be dealing with this morning from the book of Revelation chapter 20, and I invite you to turn there at this point, is a passage that is teaching just that. It is what we refer to as the great white throne judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, and I'd like to begin this morning reading the passage so that you'll have it set in your, in your mind, Revelation chapter 20, and let's pick up in verse 11, John writes, and I I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And Lord, with great reverence this morning, we come before you after reading these incredible, incredible words. Lord, the eternal destiny of people in this room today is in the balance. We believe because of what we see in your book, that those people in this room today that have never received Jesus Christ are also here by a divine appointment because of an incredible truth that you'd love to share with them. And Lord, I pray that today you would open the hearts of every person in this room. Whether at this point we think that we know you, or we think that we don't. Pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say to us from this passage this morning. and we ask this for your glory's sake. Amen. Now to fully understand what we've just read here in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, the first thing that we need to do this morning is we need to make sure that we all understand the sequence of events in the last days. The Sequence of Events in the Last Days. And basically, what we're going to do is overview the book of Revelation by telling you the sequence of events of the last days because basically what the book of Revelation does for us is it spells out the sequence of everything that is going to be taking place in the very near future on this planet. But let's understand this. As we come through the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, The Lord Jesus Christ writes seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor, and he was addressing real things that were going on when John was actually writing this back in 95 A.D. or so. But when you put those letters into the context of the whole of the book of Revelation, and listen very carefully, what you find is that our Lord was giving us seven views of the church age, the period of time where you and I live right now, He was bringing us through seven periods of church history. And right now, we are living in the seventh and final of those periods spelled out for us in the letter written to the church of the Laodiceans in chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. I personally believe that if you want to locate where we're living right now in the book of Revelation, we are in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. The verse says, "...he that hath ears to hear..." Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I believe we are in the last of the last days of the church age. And the very next event that we're anticipating that is going to end this period of time that you and I are living in is an event that is referred to as the rapture. It's spelled out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 in the New Testament, but it's found in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, right after that seventh and final period of church history, again, where we're living right now, the next event to take place, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, the same thing that is going to take place that's spelled out in 1 Thessalonians 4 is found in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. And that is that heaven opens, there is a voice, there is a trumpet. John, who is a picture of the believers in Jesus Christ who know him on this planet today, are caught up to be with him. And in chapter 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation, we have recorded for us that event, the rapture. The the event that takes place after the rapture. The rapture is going to usher in a period that is known biblically as the period of tribulation. The tribulation. This is a period of... Seven years on this planet that Jesus says there's never been a time like it before it and there'll never be a time like after it. Now, the rapture is an event that could take place literally at any moment. After that event has taken place, the tribulation begins and it will go for a period of seven years. Now, the tribulation ends with an event that is referred to as the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming. And that is at one specific period of time. It's going to be at the very end of the tribulation period when he comes back to this planet and executes his wrath and sets up the next event on the planet, which is the millennium. The millennium. And the millennium is a thousand-year period where Jesus Christ will rule and reign on this planet. And again, the millennium will go for a period of a thousand years, and then that leads us into this event that we just read about in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, which is the great white throne judgment, and again, that takes place at the end of the millennium. So let me just make sure that you've got this, you've got it on your sheet now, but now watch the progression. We're living in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 right now. We're expecting that next event, the rapture, which is spelled out for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and chapter 5. After the rapture, it ushers in the tribulation period. In the book of Revelation, it's chapter 6 through 18. After the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, it's found in Revelation chapter 19. The next event after that is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It's Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. And at the very end of the millennium is this event that we're talking about here this morning, the great white throne judgment that will take place at the end of the millennium and will usher us into eternity. But before we actually get into to this passage this morning and begin to dissect this thing and, and try to learn about it, and, fellas, <clears throat> I appreciate you not have to make me fight you this morning. That would help me a bunch. Now, now Listen. There's some things that we need to talk about before we actually get to the passage, okay? Now, I've given you the sequence of events so that we can all be kind of working off of the page here, realizing where this event actually falls in terms of, of history. But before we begin to talk about that, you need to understand something else about the last days. And it's what I'm calling on your study sheet today, the famine of hearing in the last days. The famine of hearing in the last days. <clears throat> we 're living at a time right now, guys, to where quite honestly when we 're talking about this event that we just read in Revelation chapter twenty verses eleven through fifteen, a lot of people do not want to hear about this and, and, and let me let me spell this out for you as you go to the Bible, what you find is that there are thirteen famines that you can actually identify. In, in, in the Bible. Of those 13, 11 of them have been fulfilled. One of them is going to be in that seven-year period of tribulation that we talked about. It's yet to come. Okay? It, you can read about it in Revelation chapter 6. Okay? But now listen. We're living right now in the other one of those famines that are found in the Bible. It's spelled out for us in Amos chapter 8 and verse 11. And it says this in Amos 8, 11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And God is saying, now listen, there's going to come a time on this planet... When there is a famine, but it's going to be unlike most of the other famines that have taken place in history. He's not referring here to the the famine in Somalia. He's not talking about starving people in Afghanistan this morning. That's not what he's talking about in in Amos chapter 8 and verse 11. He says, I'm talking about a time when there will be a famine of hearing of the words of the Lord. Notice he did not say that there would be a famine of Bibles. But a famine of hearing... Of the words of the Lord. He did not say there would be a famine of preachers. There's lots of preachers. And people all over the planet today are hearing preachers and teachers. But he says there will be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Paul also prophesied about this time in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Writing to his young son in the faith who was a pastor... Writing to this young man, he says this to him. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Watch this now. For the time will come. And again, he's looking ahead from Paul's perspective. To a time yet in the future for him. The same exact time that Amos the prophet was looking forward and saying, there's coming a time when there will be a famine of hearing of the words of the Lord on this planet. And we find in Paul's prophecy here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that he says, yes, and when that time comes, the reason that there will be the famine of hearing of the words of the Lord, he says is, it will be because they will not endure sound doctrine. You know what? The reason that there is a famine of hearing of the words of the Lord because people don't want to hear the words of the Lord. They will not endure sound doctrine. Watch what they do. But after their own lust, shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Watch this now. And they, that is those teachers, shall turn away the, their ears, the people's ears, from the truth and shall be turned under fables. And just a few things I want you to, to note about this, this passage that we, we just read there is, is What he says is that there is a distinction between preaching and teaching. Did you notice this? Listen, he, he says to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word, and you do that, buddy, because there's going to come a time when people are not going to want to hear preaching. They're going to want to heap to themselves, what's the word? Teachers, and I'm telling you right now on this planet, people do not want to come to church. And I mean, you even hear it. I, you know what? I'm not interested in going to church and having somebody preach. People want to go, and they want to learn. You just want to be taught. Because you know what you can do with that? Nothing. You just fill your brain with it get a big, fat, spiritual head because of all the stuff you know, and it never has to get into your life. But it doesn't work that way with preaching. See, teaching is simply communicating truth. But if you look in the Bible, what you find is that biblical preaching involves three things that Timothy shows right here in this passage. He says, first of all, reproof. Biblical preaching involves, number one, reproof. It involves reproof and what that means is when the truth of the Word of God is presented what he is writing to Timothy and saying is it ought to be convicting you know what what he's trying to say here is people are not gonna want to go to church and be convicted they're not gonna wanna have to feel bad about anything they wanna go and have someone teach them so that they can feel good about themselves and what he's saying is, when you go to church, if it's really happening the way that it ought to be happening, is the Word of God ought to be coming to you, and it ought to reprove you. It ought to convict you. And then he says rebuke. And biblical preaching involves that second thing. It involves rebuke. And that is the truth is pre- that's presented as, as you're preaching. It ought to be confronting. You, you ought to go to church... And when the Word of God goes forth, it ought to take your life and, yikes, it it ought to face you with where you're living with your life. That's what it really is to preach the Word, but it involves something else. It involves exhortation. And that is, the truth that is presented should be challenging. When, When the Word of God is preached, something ought to be stirred within you. You ought to be exhorted to want to take that and do something with it. What God is basically saying is this, y'all. When you go to church, you ought to be getting your toes stepped on. You ought to be getting the Word of God put right in your face to where you're not feeling real good about it until you make a change to conform to what the Word of God says. But he says, now, you've got to understand something, though. In the last days, people ain't going to want to go to church and want to do that. They would rather have somebody teach them but would you look at the 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 warning look at the end of that verse there what those teachers ultimately do is turn them from the truth unto fables things that are not true and you see what we're talking about here this morning this thing of the judgment this is something that people don't like to hear and so since they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears the teachers never really address this issue. And so people aren't confronted and aren't convicted and aren't challenged to do anything different in their life. And you know, because of that, they stand at the great white throne judgment of God, and we read about their fate in that passage this morning. And so I I just want you to know before we get into this, that I'm thrilled That every single person is here. I I wish I had the the chance. We're going to invite you after the service to to come and and meet the pastors and let us just shake your hand. and Thank you for coming. And and I, I wish we could have done that with all of you ahead of time so that we could have at least established some kind of a friendship before we get into this today. So that you would understand that the reason that we're going to say the things that we're saying is not because we're wanting to try to browbeat anybody. We're not trying to freak anybody out. That is not our motive whatsoever. What we're seeking to do here is what Paul told Timothy. Preach the word. But understand, if that happens here today, you may not walk out going, Boy, don't I feel cool today. You may... Walk out going, whoa! But understand, based on the things that we're seeing from Amos chapter eight and verse eleven, Second Timothy chapter four, verses two through four, that whoa is a good thing. So I, I, I challenge you today: don't be like those in the last days. Don't 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 approach this today as you know. I'd just like to hear something that makes me feel good about myself, even if I I have to lie to myself. No, I I challenge you today to be honest with yourself and be honest with God. And let's just see if God doesn't connect with you today. But as we talk about this judgment, let's talk, first of all, about the fact of this judgment. The fact of this judgment. Now, this... Concept of judgment that we we read about here. This this is not something that is unique to the Apostle John. This is not the first time in the New Testament that this is this is re, something like this is recorded. Now, now listen, there, there's a, a unbelievable thing that has taken place in these last days. There are people that have this mindset, and it's because they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears that tell them what they want to hear. But there is this mindset that says, you know, the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment. And he's a God of wrath. But, oh, man, the God of the New Testament, now he's just a God of love. He's kind of your grandfatherly type. And he just wants to hug everybody, make everybody feel good. And, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, about what you believe. It doesn't really matter what you do. Y'all just go ahead and keep killing each other and keep on lusting on each other and keep on just doing all the things that you're doing. And, you know what, it's a, it's really, it's going to work out all right because, you know, he is just a... a a God of love. Uh, Let's just just get our bearings here today. The God that is presented in the Bible, if you go back in the Old Testament, you know what? He is presented as a God of love. I love Psalm 86 and and verses 4 and 5. He says, but I am a God who is a good God, compassionate, tender-hearted, listen to this, ready to forgive. You know what? The God of the Old Testament is a God of love, but He's also a God of judgment and a God of wrath. But when you go to the New Testament, what you find is that He is most definitely a God of love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Yes, He's a God of love, but oh my goodness, y'all. The God of the New Testament is every bit as much a God of judgment and a God of wrath as the God of the Old Testament. We come to Psalm 9. In verses 7 and 8, it says, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared His throne, listen, for judgment. And He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. And the psalmist is saying there is most definitely coming on this planet a day of judgment. In Psalm 97, in verse 2, it says, Clouds and darkness are round about Him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of His throne. In other words, His throne is the habitation or it's the the place that He has established. It is the place that has been fixed for Him to execute His righteous judgment. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is is preaching. And in the midst of his sermon, he says in verse 30, In the times of this ignorance, and he's pointing them to to the past, God winked at But now, and we're living in that now, right now, listen. But now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent, watch this, because he hath, what's that next word? He has appointed a day. There is an appointment that has been set on a very definite day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, the only righteous man who has ever walked on the face of the earth, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. You know what he's saying here? He says we have the assurance that this judgment is going to come with the same assurance that we have that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fact of judgment for every single person that has ever lived on this planet. In Romans chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, he says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? And you know what? It, It is the weirdest thing in the world. And I've seen this happen year after year after year after year of preaching, so people can sit in a service like this and hear the reality of what they're hearing and somehow think in their minds, that will never happen to me. As if they were some exclusion to this. And thinkest thou this, O man, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? God has been working through all of his goodness to bring you to himself, and you you actually think you're going to flip him off? And there's no consequence to that? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, a heart that is refusing to repent, After thy hardness and unpenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Listen. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which, count them, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. And please do not read into this that if your goodies outweigh your baddies, then you're going you're gonna to make it in. No, the Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. The way that you're made good is by admitting and confessing the fact that you are not good. And when you confess that you are a sinner before a holy God... What God did through His Son on the, uh, on the cross, the Bible says in Second Corinthians 5.21, He hath made Him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What God's looking for, and those that will be resurrected unto life are those that have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are found good in His righteousness, in His goodness. And all those who have rejected His way, the only way, will have a resurrection, he says, of damnation. Daniel, in chapter 7 of his book, verses 9 through 10, it says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and said in the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool his throne his throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire a fiery stream issued and came forth before him thousands thousands ministered unto him And if you know anything about the Word of God, those thousand thousands that minister unto Him are not only angels, it is those that know the Lord Jesus Christ when this event takes place as we minister and praise Him and glorify Him. But watch this. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before Him. The judgment was set. And the books were opened. Same event that John saw in Revelation chapter twenty verses eleven through fifteen, in the book of Second Peter, chapter two and verse four. And for those of you that may be guests with us today, you're going, "What's all this Bible stuff?" You know what I'm what I'm trying to do here today. What I'm trying to do is make sure that everybody in this room understands that this is not my little thought about you know what i think is going to shake down we're all going to you know we're all going to be judged this has nothing to do with my thoughts this has nothing to do with what i think this has nothing to do with my interpretation okay because that's you know the big cop out to be quite honest with you in the last days is well that's the way you interpret it listen folks there's not much interpretation that has to go on with the things that we've talked about here today and I'm not trying to be a, a jerk with you when I say this. What is your interpretation to all of this? Because you know what I've basically done? All I've done is read the verses. What is your interpretation of this? But Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and in the context, what he 's saying is now i mean do you you really think that the angels didn't escape the judgment, but you you think you are what 's up with that? How do you factor that? He says in verse nine in the same passage. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly, and again, you understand the godly are people that confessed that they were ungodly and got the godliness of God in them because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, but he also knows how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment, to be punished Again, in the same passage in the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 7 through 13, he says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Listen now. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. And if you're here this morning and and what you have heard thus far in this message is that the God of the Bible wants to fry your sorry behind, that is, listen, I'm trying to, to say with the confidence that this book says there is coming a day of judgment. But God's letting you know here that's not what He wants for you. Ezekiel 33 and verse 11, it says that the Lord doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. So now, now listen. All, I'm not trying to personally. I'm not trying to get into your face and 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 and, and be a, a, an idiot to you. I'm trying to tell you the reality, the fact of this this judgment. But you've got to understand something. If you show up at this great white throne judgment. It's not because God wanted you there. It'll be because you chose that for yourself. Because He's not willing... Go on with me now. That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And what He begins to... This day of the Lord is a thousand year day. Okay? It's that millennial reign of Christ, and it goes for a thousand years. And at the end of that millennial day, the Lord will come, he says, in the thief of the, in the night, watch this now, the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. This is at the end of the, the, the millennium, just before the, the great white throne judgment. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, And then he says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And I love this. Nevertheless, look at that next word. Beautiful. Nevertheless, we... Not people that are going to be standing at that judgment on that day. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what? That judgment we're talking about in Revelation chapter 20, you won't be there except as a witness. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So, a long little journey right there to just simply state the fact of this judgment. And the fact is, this is a day of judgment that will come to every person that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look secondly now at the fierceness of this judgment. And Believe it or not, we haven't yet talked about the fierceness of it. We've just talked about the fact of it at this point. But he shows us in this passage the fierceness of this judgment. Look in verse 11 again. John says, And I saw a great white throne, and Him that sat on it, and and now listen very carefully to this, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. For who? For the heaven and the earth. Now listen, guys. At this judgment, it says that the face of the one on the throne causes, and I don't—I I don't presume to be able to to factor this into to my intellect. It doesn't compute. I believe it. I don't know how to factor it, but somehow at this judgment, the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, as He sits on the throne, is going to cause. This huge, incredible planet that we have made our home, it's going to cause this earth to go, Ah! The heaven, the universe, we would call it, is going to flee from the face of this one who is on this throne. They're looking for a place to stand. They're looking for a place to hide. And they can't find one. And that's why I look in verse 1 of chapter 21. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth who were passed away. They got out of there. They, like, like Isaiah said, they were undone as they saw the face of this one on the throne but but now listen now okay now and please track with me this is so key the point of this passage is in verse 12 what john says is i saw the dead small and great watch this now they stand before god now now listen that's sobering enough but to actually understand what it means for these people on this day who don't know christ who will stand before god to really understand the incredibleness and the awesomeness of what that will actually mean for them, he puts verse 11 before verse 12 where he talks about they're going to stand before God on that day. And what he says is, now do realize when they stand before God, that when his face was revealed in judgment, the earth couldn't stand before him. The universe couldn't stand before him. And then he says, the dead, small and great, all of us common men that don't know Christ, and all the big hitters all over the world, just go through the names, doesn't matter on that day. Stand before the face of God. God. And I, I, I want to I say this. I want to make sure that we, we, all, we all understand this. Some of you are probably thinking, oh my goodness, man, how do these people do what they did at the beginning of this service? How do they stand and sing these you know, nice songs of praise and all of this? If that's what we've got to look forward to, you've got to understand, that's not what we're looking forward to. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, This event that we're talking about is not for you. And yet, oh my goodness, do you you understand this? For those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the thing that we long for more than anything in the world is to, listen to this now, to see Him. How, y'all? Face to face. You know what? I'm not freaked out in the least about this and if you know the Lord Jesus Christ you don't need to be either in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 8 it says listen whom having, whom having not seen ye love and he says and rejoice with joy unspeakable and, and full of glory listen if you know the Lord Jesus Christ man this face it's not for us it, but what is so cool is you come to the book of Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon was a song of Solomon. Solomon is the son of David, who goes through seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines before he finds the love of his life, and he finds the love of his life in a Gentile bride. And just to spell it out for you, Jesus Christ. The Term that is referred to, uh, to him is he is the son of David, who found the love of his life in a Gentile bride that's called the church, comprised of you and me, and what this is is the song of the son of David, as it shows the love relationship between the husband and the bride, the Lord Jesus Christ and us, and, and this is this is the church. Okay? This is the Gentile bride as she expresses her love for the face, watch this, of, of, of the son of David. He says, or she says, My beloved is white and ruddy. The chiefest among ten thousand, his head is as the most fine gold, his locks are bushy and black as a raven, his eyes are as the eyes of doves by the, by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set, his cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers, his lips like lilies, dropping sweet smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with beryl, and His belly as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is, this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And here what you see is the church is not freaking out about the face of this one that is a face that we long to see that this is the face of one that we we love and long to be with but if you don't know him it's a whole different story in fact in the book of revelation chapter 4 it will, remember I talked about the fact that Revelation chapter 4 is when we are actually caught up. It's when we as the church actually see him face to face for the first time. I don't have time to read this entire passage this morning. But now listen, as you begin to, yeah, and you can even just be glancing uh, through this as, you, as you're listening uh, to me talk about this. This is that event when we finally see him face to face. And you know what? We see a throne. And all around that throne there is a, a rainbow. You remember what the rainbow is all about? It represents the covenant of grace. And so here is that throne and a rainbow all around it as a backdrop reminding us of the covenant of grace. The seven spirits of God are there reminding us of the intercessory ministry of the Spirit of God. We're standing here on a sea of glass and we've traced this through the book of Revelation to find out that that sea of glass is the righteousness of saints. Not because of our righteousness, but because He has made us righteous with His own blood. And we have a place to stand at that throne and we are singing to Him, Thou Heart worthy, O oh Lord, to receive glory and honor and blessing, and and there's praise that's going on. But that's for those of us that know Him. When John sees this throne, a thousand and seven years later, the face of the One causes the heaven and the earth to flee away, and listen, it finds no place to stand and when you when you look at it right there in your bible in revelation chapter 20 there's no rainbow mentioned there's no sea of glass that's mentioned no intercessory ministry mentioned there no singing but absolute deafening silence before a holy God in Revelation chapter six, he begins to talk about during the tribulation period at the close of that just before the second coming of Christ, he begins to talk about the judgment that is going to come on this planet and he 's going to talk about how, how the people are going to be crying out to the to the rocks and the, and the mountains and to to fall on them to hide them from the check it out from the face of him that sits. On the throne, and watch how the passage ends in verse 17. But the great day of his wrath has come, and then God asks this incredible question. Who shall be able to stand? Listen, the heaven and the earth, when they see the face of the one on the throne, find no place to stand. There's no place found for them. And he's saying, and you think that when you stand before him? It will be a place to stand. People will hide with rocks and mountains and caves in the tribulation period, at the great white throne judgment, and not that that you know it's not like God is is going well. Where in the heck did they go? You know I, they were here a minute. ago. No, they're not going to escape the judgment because they're hiding. That never works. And, and what's interesting is is people, people are hiding. Right now, people hide behind religion, never really come to grips with what God is really saying in that book because they're very religious, and they hide from His face behind the guise of religion. Other people hide behind their atheism. you know i i just I just don't believe all that stuff okay. And really that 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 is fine, it just doesn't change anything doesn't change the fact of what we're talking about well i'm an evolutionist, and I just don't believe that that's the way that the whole thing should fine. It just doesn't change the fact that every person is going to stand before God, and when they stand before God, what god's trying to say is, "Where are you going to stand?" Where are you going to stand in that day? In Psalm 130, in verse 3, he says this. For thou, Lord, if, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities. Watch the question again. O oh Lord, who shall stand? The psalmist is saying, O oh God, if you were making a running account of, of sin, who in the world could stand before you? Listen. You know what Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 is all about? The Lord marks iniquities. He doesn't miss a one. They're all written. For every single person in this room, whether you know Christ or not, they're all written. It's just, now listen. For the people who in this life, who have accumulated a bunch of sin, which is all of us in this room, they're all written down. And if you'll come to the place in your life where you will come before the judge and plead nothing but I am guilty. I am a sinner. And I'm asking for your mercy. For your grace. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, cleanses us from all sin. You're plunged in His blood at that moment. And He takes this where he has marked your iniquities, and with the blood of Christ marks on them, paid in full. But all of us have iniquities that have compounded. And the psalmist says, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And oh my goodness, we hold him in such reverence, because, not because we have done something, but because He has done something with our sin, and we hold Him in reverence because of that forgiveness. But if you stand before Him without the blood of Jesus Christ having cleansed your sin, the question is a very legitimate one. Who shall stand if the heaven and the earth can't? Please do not think that you will. And it is one of the freakiest Passages in the entire Bible. So we've seen the the fact of this judgment. We've seen the fierceness of this judgment. And now look at number three the force of this judgment. The force of this judgment. And could I, could I just say this before we we move on? You know, some of you folks are, are here today, probably, many of you, at the invitation of, of some some person. And I don't know what all is going through your, through your head right now, but you, you could be thinking, why in the world did they bring me here? What are they, are they trying to freak me out? And, and, and listen to what the Bible says in, in the book of Second Corinthians chapter 5. It, it says in, in verse 11 of Second Corinthians 5, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And I want you to understand something. Nobody has invited you here to terrorize you. To freak you out. You you know why someone invited you to come here today? Because they're freaked out for you. Knowing the terror of the Lord, because we know what all we've talked about here today, you know what it does for those of us that know Him? It wants us to be able to find a way to let other people know, this is going to come down and I don't want you to have to be a part of that. So please understand That's what's going on here today. So, we've seen the fact of this judgment, the fierceness of this judgment. And now let's talk about the force of this judgment. The force. Look in verse 12 again. He says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Watch this. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written... In the books. Okay? Now, what are those books? Well, I, to be quite honest with you, I don't know that I could be absolutely, totally dogmatic. Now, now listen, I'm totally dogmatic on the fact, not, not, the Bible makes it very clear in this passage every man that doesn't know Christ will stand at the great white throne judgment of God. I'll put my head on the block because I believe that. Okay? Now, this the books. It's it's a question: Is what are these these books? Let, let, let me just tell you what I believe. This this book that we call <clears throat> the Bible. Okay, the, you know what the, the word Bible means. The, it simply means book. You know what this book is. This book is a compilation of what? Of books, and it's one book, singular that is comprised of 66 books. Okay, now, in light of that, John chapter 12, verse 48, it says, He that rejecteth me, this is Jesus speaking, who, according to John 1, in the beginning was the, what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God is Jesus Christ. He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Which leads me to believe that this is more than just a passing fancy, that it could just be that the books that are opened are these books. Because you know what you find in in these books? Every sin that you can commit, any sin that you can imagine... You know what? It's just like Prego, man. It's in there. It's all in there. Now, you know what? Because of the time period we live in with modern technology and all of that, we've found more sophisticated ways to commit some of these sins than are actually listed. But you know what? You can just take any sin and you can find a a heading to hang this thing under in this, this book. And so I I believe what's going to happen is at the great white throne judgment, when there's no place to stand, no rocks to cry out to, to fall on you, and no sea of glass underneath you, but just absolutely falling and falling before this great throne, which could be as big as the universe. And God just takes his book and says, My word says this, And you've done this. My word says this. And you've done this. But Jesus says that the same shall judge him in the last day. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, most of you are familiar with this. It says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Watch this now. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That word discerner, it's translated discerner one time in the Bible. All of the other times this word is translated in the New Testament, it's translated judge. You know, judge the thoughts and intents of the heart, this this book. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 and and, and verse 10, another verse, we don't have the time to to actually deal with all of that. But I believe what God will do is He will open these books to be that force of the judgment in that day, number four, so we've looked at the fact of this judgment, the fierceness of this judgment, the force of this judgment. Now number four, the focus of this judgment, the focus of this judgment. and look at look at verse 12 again, and I saw the dead small and great stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Listen now, according. To their works. And look at the end of verse 13. He says, And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And again, the psalmist said, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities. And what God is doing is He is marking the iniquity of every single one of us. We will be judged according to our works. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 16 it says, "In the day when God shall judge, listen now, the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, everything that you think that has ever happened in your life that you thought was a secret to everyone on that day will be revealed when the books are open, and every man is judged according to their works." Ecclesiastes 12:14 says, "For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil." In Luke chapter 8, and verse 17, Jesus said, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known, and come abroad. In Matthew chapter 12, and verse 36, Jesus said, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. In Jude... Verses 14 and 15, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, listen, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And again, what he says is all of your ungodly deeds... Every idle word that you've spoken, every time that you've talked about God and said, yeah, whatever, it's all coming back and there will be an accounting. So that is the focus of this judgment. Every man judged according to his works. And then notice number five, the fire of this judgment. The fire of this judgment. Now, understand that sometimes when, when, we're, when we're talking, you've you probably heard this, this said, that if a person doesn't know Jesus Christ, that he's going to spend an eternity in, in hell. And, and you know what? We understand what we're, what we're talking about when, when we say that. But really, it, it's not totally true. Hell, which is located at the center of, of the earth... Hell is actually a, a temporary dwelling place for people who don't know Christ. What is going to take place at the end of the millennium, at the great white throne judgment, when the books have been opened and every man has been judged? What he says in uh, verse—where uh, are we here? In, in verse 14. Look at what he says: "And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This." is the second death, the second death. You see, the way that it shakes down is this. All of these people have been in hell for a thousand years, some of them. Okay? Some have been in there 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years. They come out at the great white throne. Okay? Now, they, were, they died and were cast into hell. And now they are resurrected, if you will. This is the resurrection of damnation that we were talking about before. And what is going to take place is they are going to be judged, they are going to be sentenced, and then all that, were, that died and were in hell are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And that's, where the, that's the eternal place of separation from God. And would you just listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 4? He says, and I say unto you, and, and and I love this, the way that he does this. And, and I say unto you, my friends. Okay, now he's getting ready to say some hard stuff just like we've done here today. And, 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 and could I just have your attention here for just a second? Some of you are probably at this point in the game, and, and we're almost done, okay? But some of you are probably at this point going, you know what? I'll never be back here again, and to be quite honest with you, I understand that because I sat where you sat. Okay, I, I didn't, I, I didn't grow up in this whole Christian deal and all of that. I had to come to a place in my life where I was invited to a church just like this one, and oh, there was a period of time where I was. I don't want to have to feel like this, man. But listen, I'm I'm telling you these things here today, not because I woke up today and said, you know, I'd like to be an enemy of a lot of first-time guests that come to our church today. You know what? I'm telling you this stuff, and I, I, I understand it. It may be hard for you to understand this. I'm trying to tell you these things because I want to be your friend. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know what? If your friends won't tell you the truth, they're not your friends. Your friends are people that will tell you the truth even if it wounds you, even if it, even if it hurts you. And so, listen, this is not an attempt to, let's. Hey, hey, guys, invite all the people that you really care the most about in life, invite them to a service, and let's just tick them all off if you want to. <laughs> it, that's not what this is, this is about. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And Jesus said, I I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Don't be afraid of the Hitlers of the world, and don't be afraid of the Bin Ladens, those people that can snuff out your life. Don't worry about them. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power. To cast into hell, yea, I say unto you, fear him. In Matthew 13, verses 49 and 50, it says, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then let's look at the finality of this judgment. In verse 15, it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And would you just go back up to verse 10? At the end of the millennium, after Satan has been loosed out of his prison in the bottomless pit and has deceived the nations for one final time, what happens to him is that it says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, watch this now, and in that lake of fire shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And now look at verse 15 again. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Listen now. Where like Satan, you will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. And that... Reality is just as sure as the fact that you are seated in this room this morning. But now listen before you pack up, because the souls of people are in the balances right now, okay? Do remind yourself as you hear this this morning that God said He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And would you just flip the page over, just one, one page over there to the very last chapter in the Bible. And would you look at verse 17. This is, this is how the Bible ends, just so that you'll understand this. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come! And let him that heareth say, Come! And let him that is athirst come! And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. L- listen. That's what the God of the Bible is saying to you today, is I don't want you to spend an eternity separated from me. I'm inviting you to come and listen, with open arms that He opened once to receive the nails as He died on the cross for our sin. With those same open arms, He reaches to you today and He says, Would you come? Would you come that you might have life and be freed from the fear of all of this judgment that is most definitely to come. Let's bow our heads together. <clears throat> and oh Lord, I want to take just a second right now to ask you to just take anything that that I may have said today that has gotten in the way of your word. And would you just, in the minds of people right now, just remove all of that, and may the Spirit of God be free right now to take your Word and use it to reprove of sin and of righteousness and of judgment in the lives of people in this room that don't know you. Oh Lord, we understand you've given us the privilege to be able to share your truth with other people, but we understand most definitely that your Spirit has got to take it to their hearts and reveal its truth to them. And we're asking right now all over this room that up and down every aisle that the Spirit of God would move into the hearts of of people in this room today that don't know you as their Savior. And I pray that this would be the day that they would come to know you. I pray that this would be the, the day that the They finally understand the reality of who you are and the reality of who they are before your holy presence. And now for those of you that right now, the Spirit of God is working in your heart, I I want to tell you how you can respond today to what's going on. And maybe it might be comforting for you to know that The rest of the people in this room have all been exactly where you are. We all understand. You'll never find a more sympathetic group of people in all the world than the people you're around because we understand what's going on right now. But as our service is being concluded, we're going to be dismissed from this room. Our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room. And we're inviting you today, if God is speaking to your heart, to respond and to come and to just... You know what? All you got to do is just just come and, and say you know what I need to talk to someone about what was going on there today in that that message. Maybe somebody invited you to to come. Just you know what? Maybe you won't even need to 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 talk to, to the, the pastor. Just just you know maybe just say to them you know what I, I I'd like to talk more about what needs to happen in my life so that I can. Receive Jesus Christ into my life. But I do want to make sure that that you understand that this is a very significant moment in your life when God takes His book and shows you His truth. There's there's not many moments like this in a lifetime. The Bible says today, if you'll hear His voice, harden not your heart. And, And so... Right now, what is God saying to you? And we urge you, either talk to someone that invited you or, you know what, just excuse yourself. Oh, they would be thrilled if you just said, you know what, I, I need to just go up here for a minute. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady that'll take a Bible and begin to just answer whatever questions you have. Maybe you don't even know the questions to ask. We'll do whatever we can to help you. If you're a man, we'll get a man to, to talk with you. But this is such a significant time. And oh God, even now, Work in the hearts of people to bring them to Yourself. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And and guys, uh, you know what I I sense right now in the lives of people in this room that there are people right now that are really counting the cost of what needs to happen. so I, I don't want us to, you know, Joe is going to come and just give us some, some, you know, final reminders. I, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid to, to talk about everything that we need to talk about right now, just because of the souls of the people that are in the balances right now. We'll, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about the, the Frank thing tonight in our Thanksgiving praise service. Uh, you know, things are are progressing really better than the doctors anticipated. Uh, And so we'll give you the the update at that point. But all right now, those of you that God's working in your heart, don't let this this moment pass. Do what God wants you to do. Our Thanksgiving praise service tonight at at 6 o'clock.